You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, at least over the past year, I'd say at least over the past three or four years, actually, then you know we have a job board, revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. And most recently, you've heard me talk about the 10th Collective. I've started talking about that this year, which is this new talent collective initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design. Well, now, as sort of a furthering of this initiative, the job board for Revision Path and the Talent Collective are going to be combined. And this is great for companies that want to sort of advertise any listings for any positions that are coming up. When they add their listings to our job board, they also get access to members of the 10th Collective. And if you're also a member of the 10th Collective, that means even more companies are going to be available for you for your next opportunity. Now, if you're a member, if you're just a black designer listening to this and you want to be a part of the 10th Collective, super easy. First of all, it's free to join. All you have to do is fill out a short profile and you're all set. You'll only get contacted by companies when they're ready to talk to you and you can hide your profile from companies or remain completely anonymous. The 10th Collective is meant to be a resource for you, whether you're looking for your next opportunity or not. And listen, we've all seen these layoffs over the past few months. Get in where you can. It's a great asset to have. It's just in your back pocket for your career. So to sign up, you just go to the 10thcollective.com to join, or you can check out the link that I put in the show notes. We're still kind of working out the rate structure right now for companies because we're combining like a monthly job board and an annual collective thing. So we're still working that out. But for members, free to join. Companies, we're getting there. We'll, we'll have it sorted out soon. But if you are a black designer, you're looking for your next opportunity, sign up today for the 10th Collective. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. So what are you waiting for? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Now, here's something we haven't had in a while, a new Apple podcast review. This is actually from last week's guest, Reggie Tidwell, and the review is titled, This is So Good and Needed. Here it is. The work Maurice is doing, shining a huge spotlight on our BIPOC creative community, is a significant contribution to design and creativity. As I peruse the many interviews he's done, I'm pleased to find friends and colleagues and many creatives that I'm delighted to be discovering for the first time. Thank you so much, Reggie, for the great review and for the great interview for the show. If you haven't checked it out, give it a listen, of course, after you listen to this week's episode, of course. (laughs) Speaking of which, let's get into this week's interview. I'm talking with Sean Alexander Allen, artist, writer, game designer, and the founder of games and culture company, New Challenger. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is uh, Sean Alexander Allen, and (laughs) I currently make video games for a living, I guess. I make a lot of things. 
but video games are the basically what my company does. How's the year been going so far? Yeah, it's been, it's been a wild year. A lot of stuff from the last two years just all hit in 2022. One thing being COVID, <laughs> the thing that we've been trying to run away from, my wife and I got it from my kid uh, at oh. daycare. And I, we have a lot of my wife's, a lot of her family lives down here. We've been like basically in a bunker <laughs> in this house, looking at people through windows and gates. And once we got COVID, you know, it was post vaccine for us. I don't know. It, it pulled the bandaid off a little bit. So we go to family gatherings more and we go out more. And mm -hmm. I've been traveling again, going to games, conferences and stuff. Definitely with masks. I think I'm still being treated like I'm crazy by a lot of people, even doctor's offices where no one's wearing masks, but still wearing masks. And then on a, on a better level, I mean, that was really good for mental health, actually, was being able to get out, see, just go back to games events, go to new games events, hang out with people who I've gotten to know better over the last two years on the Internet and finally getting to, like, see each other in person. I got to see my business partner in person, actually, both of my business partners meet one of them in person for the first time and see my other business partner who I've been I've known for 26 years uh, got to come stay with me in Atlanta. That also leads to the fact that uh, after two years of negotiation, we were able to get investment in my company, New Challenger, which allowed me to leave my day job. And yeah. so I've just been able to focus a lot more on the things that I love and less on kind of like corporate game development. Well, let's jump into New Challenger. Talk to me about your studio and talk to me about the game Treachery and Beatdown City. I know they're they're pretty closely linked. For New Challenger, we like to say that, you know, we say we make and publish dope games and culture. And I think younger me would have just, I don't actually know what younger me would have wanted out of a games company. But as I get older, I started working on this game, Treasure Beatdown City, 10-ish years ago, maybe earlier, and in, in just in my thoughts, like trying to do an indie dev thing. Even probably like 12 years is where my brain started really thinking about it. but. And so the purpose was like games, but then I started looking at the industry and I started looking at just the world and I don't know, having more space in my brain, being able to like getting to meet like Saul Williams, like a poet who I love person and like talking to him about video games because he's interested in that and he's doing like a comic book and all this other stuff and hmm. talking to comedians who like video games and they're interested in it. And, you know, all these people that I really respect in other art forms all being interested in like what I do. A very formative conversation was when Saul introduced me to, you know, Vernon Reed, like one of the best guitarists in the world, living color. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is Sean. He's a game designer, like with the most enthusiasm. <laughs> and I'm like, you're Saul, one of the greatest poets of the planet. <laughs> and you're Vernon Reed, one of the greatest guitarists. And, but also like, you know, secretly like a heavy sci-fi nerd, and the fact that we could then talk about like video games after that really gave me this. A lot of these folks that I meet don't know what it takes to make video games. And I don't know what it takes to make what they do. And I've wanted to make music and I write poetry from time to time and have been discouraged from doing it and doing more as an adult and comedy is something I love. And these are all black art forms that there's been a whole lot of uh, innovation in. And so what I want to do is be able to work with people from all these groups. So I think about 
like even with Treasure Beatdown City, one of the the thing that came out before the game was a rap single <laughs> for that we dropped with like our launch trailer with Open Mike Eagle, like a a rapper who started loving in 2015. We met at the Highline in Manhattan, where Vernon Reed was. Actually, funny enough, uh, that was the second time I saw him in person. He was at a rap show again. That was like the I kept looking at these like intersections of interests and then getting to talk to Mike over years and being like, Oh, Mike really likes video games. And it was like, okay, cool. Like, uh, let's see about making like a, just a cool track. That's like, it's a track. It's about a game game is more is about more than just games because the last decade has shown me that who I am as a person isn't just as someone who plays video games. It's a lot of things. It's a game that deals with like fascist police and, stealing uh, elections and all sorts of things and so let's make a song about that and then let's release that song and let's do cool things that are like you know transmedia i think is very important and something that was really big in the aughts and kind of died off but like you saw black panther they put out a kendrick lamar album with it like (laughs) and everybody loved both so Mm -hmm. that's what we want to do with our studio it's being led definitely by games because I don't think I want to make movies and there's no shame on just the people that are just game studios, but that's just not all that we do. Well, tell me more about treachery and Beatdown city. Yeah. Treachery Beatdown city. So I'm from New York and originally biracial kid who grew up with a white mom looking different in a lot of different neighborhoods, always being kind of, harassed by people for that difference being random person on the street cops whatever and always having a lot of personal anxiety around the city in general but also loving the city tremendously like i love new york i love new york more than a lot of people do there was a line from the last black man in san francisco where the main character says, because people are saying, I hate San Francisco or something. And he says, you can't hate a city unless you love it. And <laughs> I feel that way about New York. Yeah, growing up in the city and growing up through one billionaire mayor that ran for three terms, one of them dubiously legally, fairly illegally, or another mayor who threatened to kill the other mayor, basically. Like, you know, New York's just a wild place. A lot of cultures from there, a lot of cool stuff's from there, a lot of really bad stuff on corruptions there. So all in all to say, like, beat-em-ups have always felt very interesting to me because they were always, like, based in, like, a Japanese retelling of post-apocalyptic New York and other media around there. And we wanted to make our own game that was like the New Yorker telling of <laughs> post-apocalyptic New York, which is now like post-Cold War New York, essentially. And then, yeah, kind of doing like a funny, like, what if the president gets kidnapped? Except now it's based on a black president and it's no longer complete fiction that there's a black person as president. You get to fight like these weird stand-ins for like, uh, well, a lot of people that are just on the streets like the people that would shout at you, ask to touch your hair, all sorts of things. Like you get to fight those people. It's kind of like this, this catharsis that we always kind of wanted to have. And also at the same time, again, loving comedy. I've loved Key and Peele for a very long time since they, both of them were on like mad TV even. And so their humor bled into this game. 
we call it a dark comedy tactical brawler in that it innovates a lot on the, the fighting stuff, but it also, you know, it's dark humor. Like it's funny, but it's also like, it's not really uplifting in a lot of ways. It's a, yeah, it's just kind of, and that's also my way of being a comedy writer when I don't have time to do stand up because I'm working on a game for 15 hours a day or more. <laughs> now, I know that's kind of been like the main game that you've worked on through the studio. Are there any sort of other projects that you've been working on through the studio? Yeah. So, Treasure Beat Down City, yeah, it started like full time, full time when I was finally able to work on it because I used to work at Rockstar Games. That was like my first job in the industry. Then I moved into Treasure Beat Down City in July of 2012. And then, yeah, over the last two years, I've been pitching projects and pitching projects, pitching the idea of the studio, just as like, you know, a black led studio that does cool culture, working with kind of like the things I was saying, working with people from like creators from other art forms. And so we have a two or three projects that like are in various stages, but nothing that can really be talked about. One thing is that like everything that we talk, what we do is new challengers kind of mission is to definitely focus on the oppressed and also focus on being able to subvert that oppression and also just to fight back. And one of the projects we're working on, I can't, I can just like cryptically say it'll deal with boxing I'm very excited about it because it's I love boxing games. I know lots of people do. And I would love to make like a really unique but cool boxing game that makes makes a lot of Fight Night fans happy, makes people who like stories happy as well. A boxing game would be pretty cool. There's not enough. (laughs) I stumbled on in the punch out manual. They talk about is uh, the dude who's with them. Is it a. Doc Lewis. Doc Lewis, yeah. And they have a one-sentence thing about how he was a champion or around the champion circuit in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And I, I stopped and I was like, wait, wait, we need to know more about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that really actually started making me think about just like wanting to – because, I, yeah, I love Punch-Out. I love Fight Night up until a certain point where the controls – like Fight Night Round 3 was like I think the height of the games for me personally. Well, I know we could definitely go more into video games. and I want to definitely touch on your time at Rockstar because that sounds super interesting. But I'm curious, when you're like coming up with a new game, what does that process look like? It's strange. It's interesting because it's a process is, I think, always different. Ten years ago, I did not know what I was doing at all. And I think I... I'd been working on this project actually 10 years ago, earlier in 2012, I had actually put out two smaller games with teams that were two to four people. And those games were made in a weekend each. Cause they have these game jam things that are 48 hours. They could be six months long. Also, I worked on a, a few months long game jam also once upon a time, but it really all depends like who you have, what resources you have in those instances, because in a game jam setting, you're like just writing down stuff on a board and seeing what sticks and doing, I mean, you know, I think in any game thing, you want to have brainstorming, but when we're working on treasure beat down city, it was like, I want to make a beat em up and playing a lot of beat em ups, writing down the things that I like, the things I didn't like taking those things, 
putting them together, then trying to make something, make a prototype, fail, continue going. I think that's always something that no matter what you're doing with your games, you always want to try to get something that you can play to see if it's the idea that you have is working. You obviously don't want to polish something too much because if you work like for months on something that you could get in within a week and in months later you've polished the thing before implementing it and then you implement it and it sucks, then you get it rid of it or you keep it because you cost sunken cost fallacy. You then are like, well, we got to keep it because we spent three months on it. Yeah, it's it's just kind of all over the place. Like right now I'm sitting in Miro for one project, just dragging art onto it because we're creating just a massive vision board of, of games, movies, people, our art styles, all sorts of things just to like, and then I also cut together a hype reel that basically evokes what we want the game to feel like. And that would be something to stay internal and it would just get people hyped internally and say, Oh, this is what you want to do. So we're working towards this. I don't know. Every studio I think has their own ways of doing it. I'm always trying to learn the next projects we're working on are the first time I'll be working on a bigger project for myself. And when I worked at rockstar, I never got to start those games ever because they were already in process when they were handed to me. And when I worked at MLB, which I worked at for six months, a lot of stuff was usually in progress or they were such short deadlines that like it's hard to even tell somebody like, hey, here's how you make a video game in three months that where you already have existing tech and have to staple stuff over it. It changes constantly. So it sounds like, though, at least part of that beginning process is just like setting the mood, setting the motif for the game because it sounds like as you were saying you're like dragging stuff in the mirror you're it sounds like you're making a mood board almost yeah it's something that a friend of mine who's designing a game he's designing a lot of it in miro actually and so that's like a, a new thing that i learned like this year i'm learning to model my stuff after studios that are successful like i have a you know i have a whiteboard in the corner yeah i mean my whole thing right now is i'm working to try to get like small bits of the game put together and then we're going to put them all together when we know that they're working, especially when you're trying to pitch a project. It's all about de-risking. It's like getting a good piece of concept art ahead of time could be better than even getting a broken build, <laughs> because if you can sell the game, then you can make the game. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the I don't know, there's a chicken and egg issue sometimes. <laughs> and that's actually been something that the games industry has been trying to fix is that people need money to make prototypes. <laughs> but they don't want to give money to make prototypes. So it's, <laughs> so that's something that's, that's new, but for, yeah. And so for me, yeah, I'm just learning cause I have these several projects and they're all have different, different paths ahead of them. I'm really curious about what the process is like, because I know that we've got listeners that probably have thought about making their own video games. We've had other video game designers that have been on the show. I've even had ideas for video games, but I feel like it does involve probably like a lot of programming. And I'm sure you, I mean, are you doing the programming as well? Or do you have like a team to do that? Yeah, I'm right now working with a team of folks doing programming. I don't 
<laughs> I've wanted to program, <laughs> but it always puts me to sleep. Like every time I try to learn anything, <laughs> the most I really know is like I can code HTML in uh in in Notepad. That's the most code I really know. Um, okay, <laughs> I, no, I I was yeah. just kind of curious on like what that that whole process looks like. I've had an idea in my mind for a long time, probably much longer than it needs to be for. I've had a fighting game idea, but I've also recently started with like like a role playing game idea, and I saw this artist, this guy. He used to work for BuzzFeed. His name is um oh, it's escaping me. No, his name is Adam Ellis. He started this on Instagram, where he was making these like character sketches for essentially a role playing game that never existed. Like he made these characters and these like debuff items and bosses and all this sort of stuff, right? And then turned around and turned it into a book. So the book is sort of like a strategy guide. It's called Fever Nights, but the game doesn't exist. And I got the book. I was like, this is really cool. Like, I really like how he set the setting and the characters and the story progression or as much of a story as you can probably piece together from all those elements. But it's not a game. Like, it's a game that doesn't exist. But I feel like it has the elements that could become a game. I don't know if it ever will be a game, but I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, the the ways that I've been able to actually do anything is the first quote unquote lines of code for Treasure Beatdown City was I was getting frustrated because the person who ended up becoming the lead programmer in the game, we were, you know, just not working for any money at the time. And I kept being like, so when are you going to start putting stuff in the game? And one day I just said, screw it. And I, I booted up game maker. Cause this was, yeah, like 10 ish years ago. And I just put a sprite in and you can, you can get a sprite walking around and animating pretty quickly in game maker. So if you have like ideas, that's a thing you can definitely do. I had to do a ton of UI design, you know, all those things. And, and that was like, that was the last bit I ever did also, because as soon as I did that, it got a fire under his butt to, to start <laughs> said, Oh, if, if, <laughs> if I don't start on this, then Sean's going to just keep going without me. And I'm like, that is absolutely not true. Cause I could, I would fall asleep. I think I would die under pressure of trying to code and do all the art. Yeah. And a fighting game. Oof, like I've, I've seen fighting games from all sorts of levels. There's a really good, that requires, I mean, there's a, how I think double helix p- p- pitched uh, killer instinct to Microsoft when they wanted to make the new killer instinct. They just made one character that could play against themselves with barely any animation. And they just had to, but they did have to do probably a lot of code to make sure that everything felt good. They focused purely on feel. It was all gray models for on gray backgrounds. And then the hard part comes from then building out all the characters. And, but like getting that, that, that little prototype that they had was fun. So that was why Microsoft was like, oh, cool. You were able to get the feeling of Killer Instinct, but with 3D models. So we want to do that. that. There's like a famous story for Street Fighter 4, actually, where it used to not have 2D hitboxes. And the team was confused why it didn't feel good. And they put in 2D hitboxes and the whole game felt better. But it took hiring people who knew better. to. So even big companies can forget how to do things. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, everything kind of comes from different paths. You know, I feel like how did you start your game from like 10 different teams? You'll get 10 different answers. Mm -hmm. So the process is still kind of 
I don't know, it feels a little mysterious in that way then because everyone's kind of working from their own base of experience, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, even like a lot of video game stuff is it's what I always talk about, how like information dissemination is one of the keys to unlocking the problems of like there being like, you know, not enough black and other underinvested in peoples in the games industry is that there's no information on how to do a lot of things out there. I worked at MLB. I grew into a producer role there that I was hired to do because they just needed somebody to manage some stuff and also help out with the various other things. But I'm a game designer first and foremost. I ended up becoming a designer producer, but my job was always producer. And I asked, we had like four or five producers and I asked all of them what being a producer was and none of them could answer be the same way. <laughs> and I'm like, we all have the same job apparently, but some people would be like, Oh, a producer, a good producer plays the game all the time and gives notes to the team. And some producers are like, no, you really got to be good about the time. And even in Japan, the term producer is different than it is in America. So there's game planner, there's game director. There's like all these words that like, might mean something slightly different depending I've had people explain job postings to me as being not as complicated as they list them. And someone tells me, yeah, you should apply even if you don't have the skill. And then I'd interview for their, like, yeah, but you don't have that thing that we asked you for. I was like, what, what do you, what's going on here? <laughs> so there is a lot of mystery there. And that's, I think a key thing that we need to figure out because you know what a best boy is, you know what a key grip is, right? You know what a director on a movie is, you know what executive producers are like executive producers don't really have any way in on the final edit, right? The editor does usually those are like discrete things, but in like the industry, the executive producer could walk over to you and be like, I want this to be different. Yeah. I think we need more definition, more transparency. Everything's just in opaque soup over here. Let's kind of switch gears here a little bit. You mentioned when talking about Treachery and Beatdown City that you are from New York, you grew up in New York, and I see that you went to SVA and you majored in graphic design, dynamic media, and 3D rendering and animation. Like, how was your time there? Do you feel like it sort of prepped you for getting into working into video games? It's yes and no, a lot of no. I, when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to be in games. Uh, mm -hmm. I was I was working on comics. I'd been working on comics my whole life. I always was interested in music, but music always seemed to be like a dead end where I don't know. I just couldn't figure out how to get in or I couldn't figure out how to get over my own stage fright to try to. I played piano as a kid and then didn't get a right scholarship. So then I just stopped doing it and comics sustained me through high school. But I remember a, a career person asking me, like, what are you going to do in five years? And I was like 15. I was like, I'm going to be working on games. And they're like, well, what happens if you don't do that? And I was like, I'm going to be working on games. And, and, and so it just locked it in my brain. And so then I like then I guess spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make games. And again, the information thing, there wasn't I mean, there was it was a lot harder to do back then. There weren't like like Unity and game maker and construct and scratch there's so many engines that you can just pick up and go make something with now all you had back then was like rpg maker on playstation and i didn't own a playstation until a ps2 in 2000 so going into sva i something about sva i think i've been doing art my whole life because i wanted to and then i hit sva and with all those like i clashed heavily with the pretentious art weirdos um, that 
like I had like a couple of friends there, but also I lived very close to the school. I was very depressed from all my friends from high school going away to school elsewhere. Like everybody basically like I had like I went to Brooklyn Tech with like 5000 kids. So my graduating class was like 1500 people, 1200 people, 1500 people. I think I legitimately knew 100 to 200 of those people and most of them all went away <laughs> to school. And so even one of my best friends from like eighth grade also went to school at like in Albany, New York. So I was like, oh, I'm all alone. The girlfriend that I followed to SVA, that's why I actually went to SVA was because she got accepted. She got actually told <laughs> that Pratt just didn't want her and that her work wasn't good. It was wild. So she went to SVA. I was like, I'll do web design. So then I was like, I'll go to graphic design, I guess. I don't know what I want to do. And when I got into SVA, my creativity tanked. I stopped wanting to do anything creative whatsoever. And 20, 2002, I finally got a job at the EB Games I'd been hanging out at. And I, I've actually found hanging out at that store. Once all my friends left, I needed friends. So I would be on mis- message boards, play like it's how I started playing Fire Pro Wrestling on the Dreamcast because it was an import. And I really got obsessed with that game, which actually then that game in turn helped me want to make video games because they actually would mod the they would mod that game to make make it in English to give people new moves, all sorts of stuff. It was really cool. It was something that I was like, oh, you can do this even on a console. And just being at this game store meant I was always talking about game stuff and it made me think about the games that I played. And so then I thought, oh, maybe I could get into games as a writer. So I started, I just kept writing and writing and writing until I started finally writing about what I liked about the games didn't like from, which was from divorced from aesthetics, which was a bad idea at the time. But I was just like, do I like this part of the game? Do I not like this part of the game? I was trying to ignore like art and stuff like that, which again is hilarious since I'm an artist, but that's actually what got me more into wanting to make games was talking to people about it daily, talking to customers about games, going home and then writing about them. That's what kept me like living like the idea of wanting to make games. Cause art school made me want to not be an artist anymore. <laughs> I've heard that sentiment from folks before, not just specifically about SVA, but like about other art schools in general, like they had all this promise and then, there was something about like the structure or the regiment or the attitude or the discrimination or whatever about the particular school that just kind of sucked it out of them. That's what it sounds like. Sounds like that's what happened to you. I think also just working, like, you know, I had to work, I mean, 2004, the first two years of school, like graphic design was a bust and I wanted to do animation, but computer animation was like, they talked about how sophomore year, which would be my 2004 because it'd be my fourth year in school. But they basically made me go back a year. It actually made me go back two years in terms of what I had to learn to relearn a bunch of stuff for foundation year. And then the sophomore year, they were like, yeah, you're going to have to take two majors on and figure out which one you want dynamic and 3d. So they said most people would just quit the school during that year. Like, and this was a thing they told you in the interview. (laughs) And it was just like, yeah, you really did give me way too much work. Uh, Classes are supposed to be three credits each so that you'd have five classes for 15 credits in computer art. They made you take three, two credit classes so that you had six credits and then a no credit class. So four classes to fit into two space of two classes. 
to just jam, but that means you still have an extra six hours a week of class. You have an extra six hours a week or 12 hours or more of homework. Like, yeah, it's just, so when I'd be done working, I just want to play video games. Like I didn't want to do schoolwork. <laughs> like I just wanted to like watch wrestling and stuff like that. Like I hang, hang out with friends. Cause also, yeah, like the not being able to see people at school, not being able to have friends there. It was like a, not being on a campus, I think really was detrimental, but I also couldn't afford living at SVA and I lived 10 blocks away. So like couldn't justify it. How did you get your start at Rockstar? Did that happen while you were at SVA or afterwards? That was interesting because I was, uh, I was eyeing jobs in my last year at school and there was a lot of stuff at a lot of different companies. And I was like, Oh, cool. And, but I have this mental blocker where I can't apply for something until I know I will have the space for it. And so I waited until I graduated to start applying and everything had disappeared. Uh, <laughs> and then I was like, Oh no, I'm going to be stuck as an assistant manager at GameStop. And because the games industry in New York is very small. I had a partner who had a kid, had my mom. I didn't want to move outside this outside. I never really lived outside the city. So I didn't know how to drive. Like I was like, I don't know how to find a game job and I'm not going to go move to somewhere with no skills or whatever to just go try to work somewhere. So that summer I just kept refreshing all the websites. I saw a PR job at rockstar and I applied to it. I had two interviews and then nothing. And I kept asking, Hey, what's going on? And the guy, the first interview guy actually was like, yeah, I, I don't know either. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help you. Turned out the whole department fell apart. I found this out after I was hired because of something that the global PR guy had said who actually he quit. And that's why I couldn't get hired because the person who was supposed to hire me quit. So then game capture or gameplay capture showed up as I kept refreshing through the summer in like September of 2007. And I think GTA Four had just been delayed. It was supposed to come out in the fall and it had been delayed to the spring and they needed some folks to work on their trailers and they needed to fill that role quickly. And I guess that's where I'll say the SVA thing did come in contact because I did actually have a decent thesis. I had to jury rig together like this 2d slash 3d thesis, which just showed good camera use. And that was something that I think I just had inherently anyway. Like my teachers were all like, how do you know how to do this? Like other people don't really do it this well. So I don't know if, if rockstar got me there, but I mean, if SVA got me to rockstar, but it got me to make the thesis and I sent rockstar like storyboards that I had made for my, actually, cause I had gotten failed in a class for, and I had to redo a thesis class. So I had two theses that I had completely storyboarded out so being able to hand over like all the storyboards, the scripts that I had written, all sorts of stuff that apparently got me my job. I interviewed for I found out my like salary at GameStop, like the guy came because I was a few blocks away from Rockstar and he was able to just come down and be like, hey, we want to hire you. We just need to talk money. And so then like within a within a week and a half, even I think I was working at Rockstar. And so if you could sum up that time, you know, I know you were there for a good while, but when you helped with launching a lot of games, there are GTA 4, GTA 5, 
Red Dead Redemption, Max Payne 3, L.A. Noir. I'm reading from your bio. If you could sum up that experience in like a couple of, of words, like how would you say it was for you? I mean, definitely complicated. I always say I wouldn't have stayed there if there wasn't anything good. But, you know, the amount of work you have to do was intense. Like I, it was within two weeks of me working there that I was working seven days a week for a while. And, but I learned a lot. Like I, I don't necessarily learn again, things towards making my own video games, but I learned how to manage people better. I got to watch movies to learn better cinematography. There was a lot of good stuff. there. also good friends. It's really cool to see those games from the inside out and know how that stuff. So if I ever get to make like a triple A game, like at that level again, I'll be like, ah, oh, I'm ready for this. Cause I've already worked on cutscenes and stuff mm-hmm. uh, that are like 3d big stuff. And, but it did help me, you know, my trajectory also working at rockstar, having rockstar games cards, like people are in awe of you for working there. Got me to have a conversation with method man at an E3 where he, he really like, actually he bought a copy from Madden of Madden from me at a EB games one time. <laughs> and then many years later he had a show at e3 it was right after red dead came out and we got to talk about red dead redemption which is cool nice now i had first learned about you from your your kickstarter campaign that you did for treachery in beatdown city back in 2014 i'd love to just kind of know like i know you've had the genesis for the idea around that time but i guess what drove you to start a kickstarter campaign to try to get it off the ground so the yeah the initial kind of development of the game was built fairly off of either free time and or like severance slash unemployment to be able to pay my bills. Cause I've never existed in a space where I could just not pay myself. <laughs> I needed to contribute something, you know, having gone to school and having student loans and everything uh, and also having grown up in poverty, I didn't have savings. Wasn't a thing. My mom could not support me. I had been supporting my mom through my job at EB games, any job, basically, even when after like, when I moved out, like I was still paying into internet. I got my mom internet. I got my mom new computers, et cetera, et cetera. Cause she could not afford any of that stuff. So I never had like kind of that luxury. That's like one of those things you hear about indie games where they're like, ah, oh, man. And that person just worked for five years and then they put out the game. And it was like, yeah, that you need money to do that from somewhere. And again, I was living with my, my former partner and her kid. And so I had mouths to, we, we all had mouths to feed still. And so leaving rockstar, like it was good because I was able to leave with some package with that, with some money and some unemployment because I could never just quit and leave with nothing. <laughs> and then I had this PlayStation mobile contract that there was an interest there that they had this where they were putting some money into like kind of like alternative indies, I guess, like people who had like alternative backgrounds in games, like because I having a triple A background and then from Rockstar and then having this idea for this interesting beat em up was something they were interested in. It wasn't a lot of money they would give you, but it was something. And so that kicked in right as my unemployment kicked out. And after the six months and I was able to pay the programmer who was able to buy his own computer so that we could work together, <laughs> which, you know, was a game changer in and of itself. You know, you don't think about like the, the resources that you need. One of the game jams that we were at, we had to share a computer and that made it really hard to make a game when you had to keep handing each other the computer. 
So yeah, we didn't have a lot of resources and PlayStation mobile in 2014, we could tell was going belly up. I don't know. There's a lot of strife internally from what I could tell. And we knew New York just isn't a place where games are made. Like a lot of times it depends. It comes and goes, but like, I don't think I could have gotten a job in the games industry as again, like a designer, non-programmer. I'd have to find somebody who wanted to just hire me specifically for that. So we'd been working on this game for a while and yeah, end of December, 2013, I was like, what am I going to do? I was really scared actually. And so I was like, yeah, we're going to do a Kickstarter. So I started getting to work and it was like a few months of work to get the Kickstarter ready. The launch went really badly in that I didn't know they needed to vet your page. (laughs) I sent it in and then they were like, yeah, we'll get back to you. And I was like, oh no. So like it threw off, you know, what your 30 day trajectory looks like. It, was not even going to end during the week anymore. It's now going to end on a Saturday, which is not a good idea. I was very naive and I thought I'd built up enough of a fan base following of the game that, and just of myself as a person, in the games industry that we'd be able to be successful, but like nothing went right. We weren't able to get videos recorded in time. We weren't able to, and I honestly should have just waited another month or so, but I was like desperate. I was like, again, coming from poverty, you come from like a money is just constantly dripping away mindset. So I was just like, I need this money as soon as possible. And so I launched and you can tell. (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to say, I know that the campaign wasn't successful, but I mean, the way that you, and I I understand what you're talking about. Like I, I launched a Kickstarter campaign in 2011 that flopped hard. So I completely understand. I think also though, just like the climate around, crowdfunding was not as what's the word i guess prevalent as it is now like when i started mine in 2011 a lot of people had no idea what kickstarter was what crowdfunding was why should i give you money that sort of thing and i thought that i had a audience behind me that would be able to support what i was trying to do with my campaign and it just like flopped so i know what that's like i know exactly what it is to kind of go through that whole thing you did end up starting another kickstarter campaign but i'm curious like when it fell through like what was going through your mind like what drove you to keep continuing working on the game i'm actually trying to remember yeah in video games there were actually a bunch of successful kickstarters that was kind of why we were like oh this is a place that we could go to that was like one of the burgeoning sides of it people in my direct family still did not know how kickstarter worked obviously but you could see like making millions of dollars on kickstarter and i wasn't looking for that but That's, I think, why I saw it as a possible path out. And yeah, when it failed. So the last day, the last two days that Kickstarter were hilarious. Like I said, I got bumped to Saturday. That weekend was Game Developers Conference that year. So it was starting on the Monday. So it was failing on the Saturday before the Monday. And the Friday before that, I never miss a plane. I missed my flight to San Francisco at 8 a.m., I had to sit in JFK for like 12 hours. I was basically because I wasn't sleeping well that time either. So I basically just went to sleep in my lap and waited for my flight to to finally show up. I think I went and found some food at some point. And I because I was fairly broke back then, I really would I would try to like leverage my friend base to try to find somewhere to stay like the first night or two before an event kicked off. So I. 
I didn't actually have anywhere to stay that night when I got to San Francisco, (laughs) but when I landed in San Francisco and it was like at night and a friend of mine was like, Hey, you can come stay at my, my brother-in-law's apartment. It ended up being in a basement that had no cell reception. So it was actually perfect because I'd have to go outside to check what the internet was doing, what the Kickstarter was doing. So I just had resided that it was going to end and I just turned on Archer on Netflix, on an Xbox, and I went to sleep. And I woke up, and it was over. But it was really good to be there at, at Game Developers Conference because, like, literally the next day, there's this website, unwinnable.com, where they write about games, and they have all sorts of amazing, great games writers there. I had written for them a couple of times. They write about personal stuff. Sometimes they just write, like, cool music of the year lists and stuff. But they used to rent a house for game developers conference so that they could bring a bunch of writers and charge them based on how much they could pay. This is before like Airbnb really. And I got to stay there the, the day, the, I think the Saturday after Saturday night after. Yeah. That was awesome because like, I got to just talk to these people who were like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. I didn't know, but this game was on Kickstarter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like I just was around all these people were like, Oh, this sounds amazing what are you going to do? Like people all very, very kind of uplifting, very positive. It was the exact right place to be when something didn't succeed because I had so much support. Yeah. It sounds like it. That's good. Now I feel like we've seen, you know, in the media over the past couple of years that, you know, game development can be a, like a hostile environment. Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, yeah. Uh, My thoughts mostly are that my, my wife, used to work in nonprofit stuff and I've seen her abused as much as I was, (laughs) you know, like in terms of like time and what people expect of you, it's more benign. I don't know. I think all industries kind of suck. Like I, I always say like, well, let's look at the CG industry and how they farm it out to like non U S countries a lot of time and then don't credit them and like stiff them on money and stuff. Like, you know, the games industry has definitely got a lot of bad parts. It's got a lot of good parts you know, a lot of people want to keep focusing on the bad things. And I mean, there, there's tons of hostility. It's absolutely true. And that's, that's kind of why I don't give up. And I'm always trying to mentor folks on the side, introduce people, tell people who did a thing so that they can avoid that person. You know, I've, I've been the victim of a lot of uh, like more, I guess, insidious toxicity or just people smiling to your face and stabbing you in the back people just not wanting to work with you after they screwed you over rather than them act. And then, or if you just complain about things, people not liking that it, there's definitely an air of toxic positivity, which I think needs to be talked about a lot more because I don't know. There's like a, it's an Ouroboros of like people being like, why is the games industry? Like why are like fans so toxic? And then the industry, you look at like, 30 years of the industry being like, if you don't have the best form of hardware, then you're nothing. (laughs) It's just like, that's why, why do you think, (laughs) you know, I think it's up to kind of like climate change. It's up to the big companies to really put money in to fix a lot of the stuff. I just try to do as best as I can by the people that I work with. Ultimately, what do you want to accomplish as a game developer? Like, do you have a, a bigger goal or a bigger message? I'm an artist, so like game development is like the thing I use to do stuff. But yeah, I mean, like 
don't know, Treachery Beatdown City is about like how far will rich people go to take control over things. It's a, and it's a very timely thing. Every piece will be different. I mean, I also put out like a little Twitter art piece a while ago that was like being black in America and it was using uh, Mega Man sprites, which, you know, evoked an interesting response from a lot of people on the internet. A lot of people being like, wow. And a lot of other people being like, well, then they should just act right. Right. And, you know, you see like people (laughs) showing up on themselves. Basically what I make is does exist to provoke a response a lot of the time, one way or the other. But again, like I've done, I do, I've released music with people. I release board games, big video games, small video games. I think it's just who I am. It's kind of how I think the term new challenger is kind of funny that I stumbled on it because I feel like my existence in the games industry is a challenge to the games industry. It's funny that like EA's was like challenge everything. And I'm like, we're one of the biggest companies in the, the industry. You don't challenge a whole lot of things clearly because you keep making the same Madden game every year. <laughs> everything we do is going to be different but definitely feel like something we're doing there was an article a long time ago that was like looking for the spike lee in games and i don't think the article understood what the spike lee in games was they were just seemingly like looking for a black person making video games and i'm like spike lee went and had to hustle a ton of people for money to make malcolm x the movie and it's a huge epic that has its flaws. It's an amazing, amazing movie that I'm so happy it exists. He's also made like stuff that I don't ever want to see again, like Black Klansman, and because of its like weird like copaganda thing, you know. So he's an artist. He's entitled to make project to project. That's kind of how I think of myself and like what we want to do. So you don't think of yourself as a Spike Lee of games? I say I'm the Malcolm X of games. (laughs) Unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Uh, Well, I mean, like, I don't know. I think of a lot of things, but like, I mean, I I provoke response from the games industry a lot. I mean, again, I've been fighting this fight. Like I think about having written that thing about having written a talk, like how urban black and Latino cultures could be the next frontier of indie games. Like nine years ago, taking months of researching and educating a ton of people in the industry about like how it's very strange that like if hip hop was in parallel with video games and it's a very technical art, especially with from like the production standpoint, it doesn't make any sense actually, other than that video games were so insular that it told people that they were not welcome basically to be in it. My whole thing is like, and I provoke responses for people. I say things that are uncomfortable to people's faces. I like to, I'm trying to make the games industry better. I'm trying to bring black people together to make a bigger space for them so that like people aren't always expecting black people to make sad games about blackness, you know, like, I don't know. I just want black folks to be free in the games industry. That's a very important thing to me. I don't know about Spike Lee's like intentions for movies, right? Like I know that NYU likes to parade him around when they're like, see, we have a successful black person who came from our program, (laughs) but they, but like, I mean, where are all the other black directors right like (laughs) i think of myself more along the like i want to work with like jordan peele one day i want to work with i like boots riley like when i saw sorry to bother you i was like ah this is along what i like to do yeah i I definitely wouldn't say i'm the spike lee again the malcolm x or the stokely carmichael are, are more what i try to go for okay 
I was just curious. That's a, a powerful comparison. So I was just kind of curious to know where that came from. For people who are listening to this who want to get into developing games, what would you recommend to them? It's always hard because I feel like every time I give people advice, they just want to hear advice to hear they, they are hoping they're that the thing that they're doing is the thing that's right. And then they just move on. Like I've told so many parents how to do things for their kids and then they never do anything. Games. Well, I mean, I'd say like, don't be afraid. Cause I mean, it's just like, don't take every game tutorial thing with, uh, like take a lot of them with a grain of salt. Don't sit in your head for too long. A lot of times I think trying to take like a small game and just modify it. Like, can you turn like a deck of cards into like fighting game or something like for the game corporate vandals I worked on? It was like, can you take tic-tac-toe and make that a, like a graffiti tag warfare game, basically turf warfare game. And you can, it doesn't take, it's really hard because like people always tell me that, I seem to have a knack for these things. And again, like, I guess the thing that really got me to the point that I'm at is I played a lot of games and I wrote down analysis about what I liked and did not like. I feel like an opinion on things that you wouldn't have otherwise. And don't be afraid to be really harsh on like big games because I feel like people tend to let big games off the hook more. And I'm like, we don't say like Transformers is the pinnacle of movies And that's what we say for video games a lot of time. Like the biggest, flashiest thing that makes absolutely no sense at the end of the day and is maybe a little ugly from an arts perspective, art design perspective. We're like, oh, man, that gets a 10. And you're like, what? So look at that stuff. Look at that stuff. Look at small games, big games. See what overlaps. See what doesn't. I would say also read Rise of the Video Game Zinesters by Anna Anthropy. I really like that book a lot. Um, and she's, she's just very, very smart game designer. What do you think you would have done if you didn't get into game development? That's always a hard one because like I said earlier, like uh, when I was a teenager, I decided this is what I was doing. <laughs> Everyone tried to talk me out of it. It was weird. I don't know. Um, like as, as an artist, like every time I try to like think about my life without making video games, I come up with a blank. Because when I was working on like my comics, the reason why I wanted to make games was because I wanted to have, I have this old comic when I was 15 that I really wanted to turn into a thing where you could make real meaningful choices and then have these sprawling side things. And I had another game like that too, where I wanted to basically turn Chrono, make Chrono Trigger, but make it 10 times as big. I always had these ideas about like telling stories that go off in these different branching narratives and and as I make games now, like I really love like the the mechanics of them. I mean, I think I kind of wanted to make movies, but I had to work at a game company to learn that I liked movies. Strangely enough, I stopped liking comics. I don't know. My, my brain just doesn't have the attention for them anymore. Uh, I don't know why. Like the only comic I could read was the understanding comics is the best comic that I can read. And it's funny because it's about comics and it's about sequential storytelling, but I can't read. I get bored of them, even short comics very quickly nowadays, even ones that I loved since I was a kid. So it's, it's really hard. That's one of the, like as someone on like a funding landscape and seeing like people saying, Oh, 
X, Y, and Z is going to replace X is going to make it really hard to do this. Or people only want these types of games or these people only want that. And it's going to make it hard. Puts me in a weird place. Um, and that's why I'm also very protective about the games industry as well, because I look at it as a place where art converges. Like, I mean, I want to do hobbies when I am no longer doing a lot of this stuff in my free time. Like I want to, I want to, I was actually trying to gear up to do stand up few years ago and then covid happened i've been trying to have a, had a guitar for a while that i'm trying to learn i want to do those things but i actually think i want to do those things and just practice them without the need to make money off of them because making video games for money being a thing that i love tremendously for money and having to sell that art is very distressing in and of itself <laughs> but yeah like i don't know um like the path is like I hated graphic design. I mean, I love graphic design as an idea, but I hated it from a, I don't know if I could sell it because it changes so often. I guess I do apps. <laughs> I have an, I have a bunch of app. I have a bunch of things, designs that I'd like to do. I'd really like to make a good dating app, but it also comes from game design. So it's, <laughs> I, well, that's, I think, that's where the dating apps are getting their, their, uh, behaviors from i think we need to onboard people in general for everything like twitter needs to onboard people we need to have like a little quest that you go on that's slightly hidden from the the part the user so that they can somehow be tricked into learning that people are people on the internet and that they can't just be shouting at women that decide not to answer their texts and you know hiding messages i don't know all sorts of things that could as someone who met my partner on OkCupid, after a lot of digging through and A-B testing profile pictures and bio length and this and that, and just figuring out what actually made people interested in me on, you know, in a very quick interface, I want to make that better for other people. That's what I would do, I guess. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work do you want to be doing? really hoping that we're done with the project that I'm pitching now. I would like to be done with that before the next five years. Like, so in the next four years, I'd like to be done with that and have that in the world while making the other project that, uh, that I've also been pitching. Um, those are the key things I'd like to, you know, just be at home more or rather I work from home. So I'd rather be not, because right now I'm just in this time space where I'm doing this update to Treasury Beatdown City. So it's taking a lot of my time and I'd like to just be able to spend more time with my kid, and my wife, and hopefully have more of a feeling of Atlanta as a city as since I've only been here for about less than two years now and just yeah, vibing out with musicians, maybe doing some music, doing some stand up. I don't know. I just want to be able to be more, creative and free i guess if that makes sense well atlanta's a good city for that i mean you're in i think you told me you were in marietta right yeah yeah gotta get out the suburbs come into the city <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotta, yeah. to see quelly chris at 5 to 529 october him and push a t like three days apart like so it's gonna be so two different experiences I'm, I'm trying to go in as much as possible it's exciting but yeah, like that's also the other thing is like working all the time, like keeps me out here. I need to learn how to drive. We might need to buy another car because the car right now basically takes the baby to and from daycare, takes us to doctor's appointments and does grocery shopping. And I can't like drive to the city while my kid needs to be picked up. Right. Like we'll see. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work and everything online? I have a site. It's a newchallenger.com, N-U-C-H-E-C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E-R.com, where I'm trying to post stuff about the games. Uh, we'd love to update that more. Uh, beatdowncity.com is Treasure Beatdown City. Twitter, Sean, double A, S-H-A-W-N-D-O-U-B-L-E-A. That's where I just am on at on beatdown underscore city on Twitter is where I do a lot of like corporate shit posting. It's kind of funny. Like I like it because I could just, I can actually be free there and post dumb fighting game memes and stuff that I find funny that I don't feel uncomfortable posting to like my like eclectic group of artists and (laughs) game important people. I don't know. It's, I have a strange Twitter following that I'm like, why do you follow me on Twitter? And I don't want to lose everybody. So I, I, and also I've just been like bullied so much over like saying anything about being black in games that like, I just stop arguing on that side, but I'm trying to get more things like this going like a podcast. I'm trying to, I want to, I'm trying to work on a book at some point because I think it'll be important. I'm going to try to put out some video content too, because people keep telling me that I should be talking about more of these things. And I'm just like, yeah, time. Time is the key limiter there. Yeah. Well, Sean Alexander Allen, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for, I mean, one, just kind of sharing your story of how you got into games and about the story with building Treachery and Beatdown City. It sounds like this is something that, of course, you're really super committed to, of course, doing this through your studio. So I'll be excited to see what comes next from you, like what comes in the future. I know you mentioned before we were recording that there's a big update for Treachery and Beatdown City coming. So I'll make sure that we put links down in the show notes for the games and everything so people can check that out. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Big, big thanks to Sean Alexander Allen, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sean and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? You know, we love to hear from you, so please don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for revision path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review just like Reggie did on Apple Podcasts or on Amazon Music or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become, and the further we can extend our reach to talk to Black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.